Thanks for listening to another episode of the HeartShare Group Podcast. You can find out more information on the services we offer to support ministries and organizations by visiting our website, theheartsharegroup.com, or by following us on social media. So, hey, it's great to be here. I'm Jack Eason, and uh, my friend Mike Williams that you know is going to be jumping in here and, and uh, helping teach this session. I love sharing with nonprofit leaders like yourself what we're going to be talking about today. So um, I, I hope you're ready because we have a heart to see God uh, through his people fund your mission because it's very, very important. And, um, you know, when you think about it, I, I want to start off with a little story. You know, occasionally I'll get a card like this from my lovely wife. Uh, her name is Lynette. She is a She's the one in the family that makes sure that I'm able to serve pregnancy centers because she's the one that makes all the money. She's a, a best-selling Christian fiction uh, author. Uh, and uh, she occasionally she'll send me a card like this, which I like. But let's suppose for just a minute that she only sent me a card like this once a year. Once a year, she only said, I love you, just once a year. How would we feel? Would we have made it 21 years of marriage consecutively, Mike, consecutively. Would we have made it 21 years? Probably not. And so I want to start off to get you mentally thinking about your donors and your partners today and what they need because the reality is for a lot of us in our uh, work that we do, we are so busy serving our clients uh, that we uh, sometimes forget that we have another group of people to serve, which is very difficult because we have two groups of people. We have donors, we have clients. And so oftentimes we get to that gala, that banquet, that walk, that fundraising event, and then it's like, oh, we need to be saying I love you to our partners that help us fund the mission. And so we want to talk with you today about how to give our donors and our partners what uh, they need. Most organizations operate completely unaware that their donors need them, and they only wait until that time where they need them where they say I love you. And so the question that we want to ask today is how are you meeting the needs of your partners and your donors. By the way, I like the word partner. I think we're in a generation and, and the coming generations that are coming up want to be partners, not just donors. We'll use those words interchangeably today. But uh, folks that give to us are partners in ministry, co-laborers, if you will, in ministry. So we want to make sure that they know that they feel uh, love. And uh, somebody said this, you won't bring new donors to your table or inspire previous donors to give you more until you meet their needs. So what are some of the needs of our donors? So we've got seven that we want to share with you today in about the hour and five minutes that we have. So listen quickly and we'll share them quickly. So here's the first one to get us started. The very first one, I love this. They need a clear understanding of the situation or the problem. I was speaking to a pregnancy center director a few weeks ago uh, in Arkansas. We had a conversation uh, about their culture there in Arkansas, which I know for some of you are thinking, that's a third world country. Anybody in here from Arkansas? All right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You made it. <laughs> Wonderful. But you know what? In our culture, not just in uh, Arkansas, but across our entire country, there are some people that don't think the problem that we're trying to solve uh, really is a problem. So they've got to understand what the problem is that we're trying to solve. And I would encourage you, and Mike can talk about this a little bit more in just a minute, the problem that we're not trying to solve, dear ladies and gentlemen, we're not trying to solve the problem of abortion. What we're trying to, to solve is the problem of good families, good moms, 
babies that are going to grow up and come to know Jesus. If we continue to shed the spotlight on a problem that probably will not be overcome in my lifetime, we continue to bring attention to something that makes it look like we're a losing battle as pregnancy center leaders. So we've got to make sure they, that we give a clear understanding of the problem. How do we do that? How do we do that? I want to submit to you that the best way for us to do that is to share the stories of the center. If I came into your pregnancy center and asked your team or your, your staff, your nurses, tell me the story of your clinic or your pregnancy center, what do you think I would hear? I was with a pregnancy center just uh, the other day, two days ago, uh, in this state, and I asked their team, and their eyes glazed over, and they looked at me, and they were thinking, what, what, is, what is the story? What are we trying to say? We have to know what our story is. Everything goes back to our story. Our marketing goes back to our story, our branding, our fundraising, how we communicate to our donors, how we communicate to our staff. It all goes back to our story. And so if we want to have, uh, oh, there we go. If we want to have uh, people have a clear understanding of our problem, our situation, do we need, do we need those? Does that help? Or do you want them on? Ah, oh, okay. I didn't think you wanted to see me. Thank you for your for your honesty there. Well, all right. Half and half. Can we do half and half on the lights? Because oh, they're, they're taking notes and they need some. All the way up. I'm glad you said it was the lights. I thought I developed cataracts. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was having a stroke. I didn't know what was going on. All right, so we're working on the lights here. So they got to have a clear understanding. There we go. Hallelujah. And let there be light. A clear understanding of the problem. The way that you share with your donors and your partners that there's a problem and you educate them is through the stories that you share. So with this particular center, I began to ask the question, tell me, tell me some stories of the center. And, and they struggled. They, they started with a couple and somebody said, oh, I remember when Heather came into the center and she, she was struggling and she found herself pregnant and her boyfriend came in and all of a sudden the story started popping up all the way across the, around, around the room and uh, uh, across the table. And they got so excited. And I said to them, the stories that you share with your donors and partners are the evidence that your organization is worth funding. If you're not telling those stories and you're not telling them effectively, then your donors and partners don't understand that there's a problem. They don't know what the problem is. They don't know that you're solving the problem. So you've got to share those stories. Real quick, this is for free. Uh, sometimes I'll go in with a center and we'll walk through a donor care program. I'm going to give you the donor care program usually takes a day and a morning. I'm going to give it to you in about two minutes. And this is what I told these, uh, this center director this week. Take your 12 rock star stories of what God has done in your center. Get huge white post-it paper. Put them around your room, your conference room, and put January, February, March, April, put the whole year and pick which story you're going to share in each month. Some of us struggle to do our monthly newsletter. What am I going to say this month? What am I? You're going to have your open, your close in the middle. It's going to be the story. It's going to be the story, the story of the month. You're going to share that story throughout everything that you do, all your levels of communication, all your modes of communication. You're going to share it on your website. You're going to share it through social media. You're going to share it on, on your uh, email blast. So that's your story. And then each month, you're sharing a new story. Now, some of you go, well, gosh, I'm going to get tired of that story by the end of the month. That's right, you are. But guess what? Our partners and donors don't live life with us 365 days a year. Just when you're getting tired of hearing the story as the point where your partners and donors are going, oh, my goodness, that's great. I've got to share this with somebody. So hopefully that will make it easier for you. Our stories 
have an effect. Let me give you four C's when it comes to telling your story. This is not on the screen, but it's in the notes. If you text it, you'll get this in the notes. Four ways to share your story. They're all C's. Number one, creatively. Creatively. I still get one newsletter in the mail with a ministry I'm just kind of keeping my eye on that looks like it was done on a typewriter. People. People. We're in 2018. There are multiple creative ways for us to share our story. If you have a smartphone, it can actually take pictures and do video. Some of you maybe didn't know that. My kids are the opposite. They have a smartphone. They shoot video, take pictures, play games. They don't even know that it can be used as a telephone. They have totally forgotten that. But we have, we have simple, inexpensive tools that we can use to create, uh, to communicate creatively. Okay, does that make sense? Just shoot a video. Sometimes send a video out. Put a video on your Facebook. Take pictures. Take photos. Get creative telling your story. Um, and don't just concentrate on, on the print versions. Uh, number two on the letters C. The letter C, comprehensively. Share your story comprehensively. I know that all of you as uh, pregnancy center folks, you have so many different facets of ministry under the roof of your building that you're doing. Guess what? You don't have to communicate all of those in the month of February. Choose one thing that you're doing and comprehensively over a 12-month period, which is why I love putting the big white post-its on the, on, the, on the wall, and say, hey, February, it's life. Oh, we got a great story to go with life. Let's talk about our ultrasound machine. March, we've got this great story. What goes in my heart? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. So that in a 12-month period, if your donors and partners are following your communication, they have a comprehensive overview of what it is you're doing. I get some email newsletters from pregnancy centers that I'm scrolling up on my screen for 10 minutes and the font size is 10 and they want me to know everything that's happening in the center over the last 30 days. I delete, delete. I do not have the time to read it. And your partners and donors don't. Clearly, share your story clearly. Use simple language, powerful language. Mike uh, may talk about this a little bit more in a minute. Believe it or not, uh, we, and, and my friend Gordon Douglas over here does the same thing, we practice, you may, you may wonder, but we practice, we rehearse, we watch people's response on certain words that we use, words that elicit some emotion, we go, okay, I'm using that word next time. Words that don't elicit emotion, we go, ch -ch delete, let's replace it. We are constantly thinking, looking at culture, observing, and making sure that when we communicate, we communicate clearly with words that move people. We could talk about millennials. That's not what this workshop is about, but let me just throw this in real quick. Millennials, I love millennials. Whoever came up with that word is making a lot of money because we have volumes and volumes of books on millennials because we think they're all that different. Guess what? Spoiler alert, they're not. There's a few things that maybe they have a heightened awareness of that I think we can learn from. And one of those things is they are very picky, choosy about the words that they use. You and I may use a word in a newsletter that communicates something to us, but to the next generation communicates something totally different. When I was growing up, it was good to be bad. At least Michael Jackson said so. Now, that word is, you know, it's gone. So we, gotta, we have to choose our words carefully. Why do we do that? Because we want our stories to have an effect. Our stories have a huge 
impact. Our partners and donors want to hear our story. They don't want to hear a laundry list of the things that we've done the past 30 days. They want to hear one story of a life change. What happened as a result of my prayers and my financial gifts to the center? Tell me one story. One story. Here's the reality. The pregnancy centers, I'll say the nonprofit ministries in your community that are winning are not the ones that are doing the best job. Let me say that again. The nonprofit organizations in your community that are winning financially are not the ones that are doing the best job. They are the ones that are doing the best job telling the story of what it is they're doing. There are many organizations in my community that I look at going, how in the world do they raise so much money? Because this organization in my mind is better than they are. And then I look at how they're sharing their story and how this organization is sharing their story. And I'm like, okay. They're knocking it out of the park when it comes to sharing the story of what they do. So we've got to concentrate on the story. We've got to let people know the problem and how they can be a part. And I'll let Mike Williams, Mike Williams tell you where we go from there. What happens next, my friend? Well, we're going to take a break right now. We appreciate that you've been here in a little uh, break. Just making sure you guys are paying attention. Very good. What were the three? Give them to me. Concisely. Thank you. Concisely. Get to the point. Get to the point. People don't have all day to read your long laundry list of emails, dissertation. It's not the place to practice your language. Get to the point. And we'll talk about a little while what, what is the point. What is the point? What should be the point in your, in your story? How many of you know this guy right here? I have the privilege to do a lot of work with him and a mission in the Dominican Republic. I, by the way, I hope you'll come down and join us. We have a pregnancy center there. We're taking on some of you are going with us in January. Who's, who's going with us? I know there's some people. Jeanette, wonderful. Come join us in January if you want information on that. Mike does that and has spoken for a lot of you at your banquets. He's tag teaming this uh, workshop with me today. Can we give him a hand? Mike Williams right here. I don't want to mention the state because Georgia is a wonderful state. Uh, nor will I mention the center because it is a wonderful center. But they called him up to do the invocation. And before he gave the invocation of the banquet, he said, I would like to tell you what an invocation is. Now you always, you know, we always say, never ask a pastor to pray. Uh, find a, a reprobate, a sinner, somebody, <laughs> uh, somebody who's not good at it, okay? And, uh, uh, and always tell them the time link. Never say, would you open in prayer? Say, would you, we, you have 60 seconds to pray. If you need any longer than that, start before out in your car and then just end it uh, with us. Pray for the food, we're hungry, okay? Uh, you, you know, there's also the rule, in, in case you don't know this, the more times at a banquet you ask for money, the less money you'll get. So if your pastor asks for money, if your testimony asks for money, if all these people are going, we need you to give tonight, just know that they're bringing down the money. So just tell a pastor, if you ask for money, if you pray for more money, you need to write us a check for $1,000. Okay? Say that right away. I want to tell you what an invocation is. And then he prayed what was perhaps the longest prayer uh, I have ever heard uh, given in my life. While we're standing, standing, what's your average age of your 
of your banquet people. For some of you, you know, it's, it's, it's in my group, okay? We don't stand well for a long time, especially when we're hungry. And then he had the audacity to say this. He finished up his prayer. And he said to think about this. That in the time it took for me to pray that prayer, over 40 children were aborted. Now, a couple things came to my mind. One, as a sarcastic person, that's my spiritual gift. I wanted to blurt out, well, you should have quit earlier. We could have saved some lives. But I didn't. What he did was he started out a banquet. by talking about the failure of the pro-life movement. Does Burger King open their conferences with, folks, I gotta be honest with you, McDonald's is kicking our butt right now. No, what wise organization would start by talking about the victory of the other organization? Let me tell you, your audience already knows that abortion is bad. You already know that. And to be honest with you, if you've got people in the audience that doesn't know that, your banquet is not the place to convince them. A fundraising banquet is about what? Fundraising. fundraising. Everybody say the word fund. Fund. Not fun. Fun's good, but it's fun. Okay? It's not friend raising. Friend raising events are great, but it's fundraising. Mike, what does this have to play with? We're talking about donors here. You're going talking about banquets because you're this banquet guy and that's all you do. No, I do a lot of fundraising. And I'm responsible for bringing in a lot of money for centers and stuff that we do in the Dominican Republic every week, okay? feel a great responsibility for that. Uh, I appreciate Jack. Jack came into my life a couple of years ago. I've known him for many, many years and found out what he was doing and he started doing some fundraisers for us and calling me every other week and going, hey, got another $20,000 for you. Where should I send it? Tell you what, you can get to like a guy like that. You know what I'm saying? You can go, man, I, I, the Lord has called me to tell you you're on the board, brother. In fact, in fact, you're the, you're the new executive vice president of the board. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about those steps because Jack said something today that some of you cringed. You mentioned how people, you watch words. We do watch words. Okay. One, one is we offended this lady from Arkansas right down here. Okay. I just want to say that. Ma'am, he's from South Carolina. You know what I'm saying? South Carolina, where tobacco is a vegetable, okay? All right, deal with it. South Carolina is 49 in education. You go to a South Carolina teacher, go, you know we're 49 in education, they'll go out of how many? Okay, let, let's deal. That's South Carolina. So give it right back to him. Give it right back to him, okay? Go Razorbacks. All right, there we go. All right, love you, ma'am, from South Carolina. Is Buzz with you? Is he, is he, is he from, is he, where are you from, Buzz? California. California. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you set it up. Hmm? I said, is he with you? I didn't assume. I didn't say he was the boss just because. Buzz. Buzz. Yeah. Hey, hang on. Let me, let me pronounce it in Arkansas. Ma'am, ma'am, you, you really just, you, everything I tried to make up for you, you took away right there. You took it away yourself. I didn't do that. He didn't do that. You did it to yourself. Okay. <laughs> Jack's over here going, 49, they must be 50. All right. But he said this. 
He said, if you think that what your ministry is about is stopping abortion, you got it wrong. You remember him saying that? And some of you, oh, uh, let me tell you, if I were to ask you at your center, what are you all about? You're going to say to me, we're about putting an end to abortion. I would go, whoa, you've got a problem because you're doing it wrong. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I want, I want to stress this because I don't want you to misunderstand what this great man who understands marketing is telling you, okay? When, when we start our advertisement with 1.8 million abortions this year. What are we saying to our audience who lives in small town America? Even if you're in big city, they're in the small community. It says, wow, I have no way to fight 1.8 million. We're going to come back to that in a minute because my point is point number two, and they're all connected. You're going to get to the end of the goes. Pretty much all these points are the same point. They're, they're nuanced, slightly different, but it all makes this. People need to be inspired to be part or all of the solution. You start throwing out 1.8 million, and, and I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'm in this work, and, and it, it, that, that's too big for me, okay? We need to be asking people, to reach a reachable number. Don't ask a person to save 1.8 million children tomorrow. Ask a person to give $1.97 a day to save one child this year. That's something that they can be involved in. Maybe in your center it's $1.47. Maybe it's 92 cents a day. Maybe it's $2.97 a day. I'd be glad to talk with you about how you put all that together. But you, you understand what I'm saying. We want to give people the inspiration to believe that they really could make a difference. We are all searching for significance. Let's give people the understanding that their partnership with our organization can make a significant difference. Because if you're not making a significant difference, you're only going to get the pocket change. You're not going to get the endowment money. Prime example of this, Gordon Douglas, you were there the moment it happened. Gordon was down there in the Dominican Republic with us. Uh, we were able to start two pregnancy centers in the Dominican Republic. We have a lot of neat work that goes on down there. We want you to join us for one of the trips. That'd be great. Jack will tell you how you can do that later. Uh, we were sitting, you remember the moment, we were sitting in the pregnancy center. The, the, this pregnancy center, you have to understand, before it was a pregnancy center, it was a brothel. It was a brothel that overlooked the village that we served. I hated having a brothel on the second floor overlooking the village we served, trying to tell little girls stay off the street when they see the girls making the money up there. Ticked me off. And one month they couldn't make the rent. And I approached the owner of the building and I said, I'll make the rent. In fact, I'll rent the entire top floor. In fact, I'll give you one year advance up front. Boom. Guess who owns the building now? All right. We moved in a pregnancy resource center there. Serve 85 girls. Hallelujah. 85 girls every week go through that. We have a waiting list for girls. Uh, wow. I remember we were sitting in there. We brought the team up there. We're sitting in this room. We've still got the purple chairs. You know what I'm saying? That the brothel had. I mean, you know, we took the pole down. But other than that, I, <laughs> now my kids have it at our house. They think it's a fire hose to get down from the bunk beds. But anyway, <laughs> they have no idea. We washed it. And so, I, can I can I say that? Can I say that? Am I allowed to say? I'm sorry if I was offended. 
Okay, all right. Just We're sitting there, and I turn to our executive director of the pregnancy center there. Her name is Rebecca. Rebecca Okiki. Her father uh, was the uh, one of the leaders of Compassion International for many years. That's how I got to know her. Rebecca Okiki runs our center. I said, Rebecca, tell everybody what we do. And she went into that dissertation, that list, what we do. Well, in this room, we have our baby boutique. It's quite like the baby boutiques in, in your areas and what you do and where mothers come in and, you know, they can buy things for their children that they earn. And, and in this room, we teach sewing because the girls, we can keep them off the street and they can take care of their child. If we can teach them how to sew, they can make a living. This room, we teach them how to cook so they can make empanadas. They can learn how to maybe start a business right there out of their, their window right there at their house and start selling empanadas instead of, uh, you know, other options and things like this. They can feed their child. In this room, we have our, our program where we have our life skills, life education school. You guys might call it Earn While You Learn there. And we teach them. This room, we have Creole. This room, we have Spanish for the different ones that we have coming in. And, and it's quite like yours. And she gave it that bullet point. Here is what we do. One, two, three, four, what we do. And I, I'm looking at it, and I'm pretty proud of Rebecca. I mean, this is this is her fourth language, okay? English is her fourth language. I, I, I struggle with English. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, so I'm enamored by that right there in itself. And Gordon is sitting in the back, and he looks at me, and he folds his arms, knowing what we do, and he looks at me, and he goes, and he rolls his eyes. And I knew what he was saying to me. He was saying, Mike, with all that you teach about messaging, you're not going to stop there, are you? Now, he did it with total respect to Rebecca. And I realized that Gordon was right. We didn't message. We bullet pointed. I stood up. I said, Rebecca, thank you so much. Didn't Rebecca do a great job? We applauded for her. We made her feel good. I said, let me put one thing to it. If you look out that window right there, you can see the third house on your left. It's a green house with a yellow flower on the front. We painted our team's paint flowers on houses. There's a little girl in there by the name of Jamilka. Jamilka is 12 years of age. Her mother has been selling her to the next door neighbor since she was eight years old. And now she's pregnant. Because she's pregnant, the so-called Christian school, pardon the bitterness there, that she goes to one mile down the way says, oh, now that she's pregnant, she can't come to school. We're sorry that she was raped. We're sorry that she's been abused for five years and we didn't notice it. But we have a rule here. You can't be pregnant to come to school. So now our Christian school has kicked her out. Now she has no school. So here she's pregnant. She's kicked out of school. She's been raped for five years. Oh, let, let's take it a step further. We called the Dominican HRS, it's called Konani, okay? We brought them into it, but they pretty much told us they can't do anything about it because the man that she has been sold to happens to be the lieutenant of our police department. But we have talked to him, so he knows that we're aware of it, so we hope that it will subside. Are you going to take her out of the home and put her in someplace safe? We have an orphanage program we can put her in. No, we can't do that because the mother needs her to look after the other children. What are we doing for this girl? You want to know what we do here? We're putting our arms around Jamilka and helping her not curse God for the life that she's been given. And we're saying, we don't care what has happened to you in the past. We're here now. And we know 
and it's not going to happen on our watch. And we're going to find a way to get through this. And we're going to prove to you that God turns tragedies into triumphs. That's what we do here. And you know what? That's what we do there. Now let me ask you a question. Which one made you want to be involved? In this room is this, and in this room is this, and in this room is this, and in this room is this. I could even say we have this many people who come through over the course of a year. Or let me tell you about Jamilka. Which one spoke to you? Now, our point here is they need to be inspired to be part of or all of the solution. Never, we say in business, never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. And I would say never present a, a story unless you have the ability to spin it forward. Okay? We don't need to talk about problems until we can also talk about solutions. I tell that to board members. I teach board training all over the country. I walk in and teach boards how to be boards, and I say, don't just come here with problems. Until you're willing to bring up at least one solution to the board, don't, don't even share the problem. Don't even share the problem. Anybody can bellyache. Anybody can squeak. Anybody can whine. Come to a board table with a solution, and I would say that to you, directors, development directors who are sharing your message. You have to approach your potential donor and your donor, even that donor who's been with you for a long time, because there's a lot of competition out there, and I know we hate the word competition, but the competition isn't always from another pregnancy center. Sometimes it's just, it's from the veterans group in Tampa right now that they found out they raised millions and millions of dollars and nothing ever went to, to the veterans. You go, I don't like the word competition. I'm in competition with that organization right there because I want to do something good. With it. You follow? It, it, you, you know, it, Peter, you, you, you're, you're right there in the middle of that town, right there, okay? You're right there. That's one of his competitors, people who are spending half of the million dollars they're raising to, to spin stories. Folks, we have to be wise. Does your communication inspire or depress? Does your communication say 1.8 million losses? Yep, another year, another year, another year. Oh, I all know we were in the first 100 days that was going to be turned around, wasn't it? Remember that? Anybody remember that? Sorry, I'm not going to get political. There's a lot of reasons it'll never get turned around, you know that. Financially. Neither party will overturn it. It's not, it, it costs them too much. I just heard a throat clearing over here. That means move along, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. But you know how I would love to jump into that. I want to go to point number three. They need a clear and unwavering cost of the solution. I, I apologize to you for the form that you received it in, but you have in your hand a paper. Can I use this brother right here? But this paper right here. I, I did not know that I would be teaching this point until recently. 
And so I didn't have this to give you, but I had it on a promo flyer that I had. So I apologize. Please take an X and X through the other side of it, okay? Uh, because that's all about me, and we certainly don't want to mention that. Uh, but on this side right here would be a great place to pull out right now and take a look, because I want to point some things out here. Now let's go back to the real, genuine Jamilka story. I had just shared with those people in that room about Jamilka. Are you with me? It's, it's the white paper. Some of it's yellow. Some of, there's some copies on yellow because that's all I had. Some of you need them. Gordon, there's a couple more right over there. Can you get them to him? I appreciate it. You have one. You have an extra one. Thank you. You are so kind. Look at this. is kindness personified. I'm going to give that one to you. That's a freshman right there. If you need one, Gordon will hand you one. I want to go back to the Jamilka story for just a second. You're going to get one in a second. So listen, listen, don't, don't get distracted, okay? Don't get distracted. In the Jamilka story, I failed in one place in the Jamilka story because I didn't tell you everything that I said. Because where I stopped the Jamilka story telling you is where I'm up to right now in point number three. It would be crazy for me to give you the Jamilka story in the situation that I was in and not say to these people how much it costs to rescue Jamilka. Are you with me? So in this particular situation, I then come back and say to them, I can take Jamilka, put her in our program, and our cost to do that is your gift of $1.27 a day. Is there anybody in this room that will take care of Jamilka? Let me tell you what, when you share your story that way, I'll bet you 100% of the people, how do you not rescue Jamilka? How do you not touch that girl's life? But we have a problem. We tend to be vague in our numbers. On this page right here, I want you to notice something right up at the top that I think is important. It's overarching to everything that Jack and I teach about. It's this. People don't give because you have needs. They give because you meet needs. One more time. People don't give because you have needs. They give because you meet needs. Everybody say it with me. People don't give because you have needs. They give because you meet needs. And they want to be a significant part of meeting that need. Man, woman, boy, or girl, we all want to be a hero. We all want to have significance. We all want to be a part. But let's just go down to a, a let's, let's go back and use something that's a real example for you. I want you to think back to your last banquet. I want you to think about that banquet response card. Remember that little thing that some of you had printed right there? It's about three by five, so nobody over 65 could really do it. You remember that one? You know, the one that was so effective for your audience? Appreciate that, by the way, for somebody who wears glasses and forgets them. Okay, uh, remember that? And it had that one-time gift spot. Remember? One-time gift. And that one-time gift spot said, one-time gifts, 10,000, 5,000, 2,500, 500, or other. Other seems to be a real popular gift amount. I've, I've noticed that over the years. Let me tell you the problem with this type of a statement, whether it's on your card or whether it's in your speech. That doesn't solve a problem. 
My one-time gift tonight is $10,000. That solves no problem. I don't want to give you $10,000 because I don't know what it does. Let me tell you, wealthy donors want to know what their gift did. That's why one of the problems we have as a mission, all missions have this across the country, wealthy donors want to come in. They want to build buildings. They don't want to operate program. <laughs> Man, it's hard to pay for staff. But I'll tell you what, I could build a high-rise apartment tomorrow with a phone call. You understand what I'm saying, where we need the ongoing funding for that. But why is that? Because intrinsically in the heart and mind of mankind, womankind, is a desire that their gift would have something to show for it. And at least a building is something you can look back and go, yep, I built that. I paid for that. I recently flew to the Dominican Republic. I had just come out of the Dominican Republic after a great, wonderful summer down there. I'd flown back, and I had a guy call me, and he said, I'd like to give a donation to your mission. I said, well, fantastic. You can, you can go right there to, you know, cupsmission.com. Notice how I threw that in. They didn't even realize subliminally right there. Uh, cupsmission.com and make a donation. And the guy said, no, I'd like to come down and see what you're doing. I've never been there. And I said, well, hey, we have mission trips all the time, we'd love for you to jump on a mission trip and do that. And he said, how long of a flight is it down there? And I said, well, it, from, it, from Miami, we leave Miami till we touch down on the ground in the Dominican Republic, it's less than 90 minutes. And he said, I don't think my plane flies that fast. <laughs> all of a sudden, things changed in my mind, okay? I, I don't care what kind of plane you have, you got more plane than I got, do you know what I'm saying, okay? I happen to know that, the, that a 1957 Piper Cub costs more than the brand new Kia Fiento that I have, all right? You know what I'm saying? And so immediately I realized what kind of donor we were dealing with and I said, when would you like to come? And he said, well, I'd, uh, you know, when, when would you like me there? And so I began to, you know, I said, let's go together. Now it changed because I understood the donor. But long story short, went down with the donor there. And now he's a large dollar donor. He's a wonderful, godly Christian man. He does not want to just walk in and go, oh, this is a good mission. Here's $10,000. Even after seeing our mission, even after looking at it and saying, I've been at missions all over the country and I've helped out missions all over the country. This is the best, most efficient, most amazing mission that I've been to. Your people are the greatest people that I've ever met. We talked about today. Our, we have a team of rock stars down there. If you've been down there, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, we've got great people. Okay, praise God for great people. He said, what are your top five needs. I said, number one, I need two more missionary couples. What will it cost to have those two more missionary couples on the field here working? I said, uh, a total price for both couples between seven dollars and $15,000 for both couples to, to live here and stay here. Yeah, you don't want to be a missionary with us. We don't pay well. <laughs> but you get all the beans and rice you can eat every day, every meal. Hush. Okay? <laughs> Now, here we go. What's number two? I said, I want to build this. Number three, I want to build this. Number four, I want to do this. He said, all right, I'll pray about it. The next morning, he came in with a list. It didn't start at number one. Why? Because that's not something that appeals to a large donor. He wants to know what it will create 
from his gift. So he took the building project. In fact, he took $40,000 worth of projects. It was worth my flight. I'm glad I listened rather than just going, oh, just go to the website, thank you for calling. We need to listen. But we have to understand when we present people, give to us for this reason. Now, Mike, what's our option? Skip down just a little bit. People want to know exactly what their gift will accomplish. You should have on any donation card. In fact, we have it on the very cards that represent the mission. We have something almost exactly like this that says an example of what your gift accomplishes. See, I want them to give big gifts, but they need to know what it accomplishes. But these are hypothetical, written for a pregnancy resource center right here. We're, we're going to say this on, on, your, on your giving cards or ask. A gift amount of $5,610 can provide a full year of abstinence education in 12 schools. A gift amount of $4,008. Mike, why don't you just round it to $4,000? Here's why, because we all know that $4,000 is bull. Have you ever had anything round off to an exact amount? Which means to any type of businessman, if you say I need $4,000, that means you probably need $3,648 and you're rounding it up. Give the real number, all right? $4,008 can provide a full year of parenting curriculum and the classes. What's that gonna do? That's gonna turn 85 at-risk moms into thriving, all right? A gift amount of $2,512 can provide a full year of ultrasound insurance and maintenance. Costs an average of $2,500 a year to operate an ultrasound. I don't care where you are, who you are, what it costs for insurance, upkeep, and everything like that. All right? Right there underneath that. Uh, a gift amount of $1,400 can provide one month of rent for our center. Okay? If we need, so if I'm doing a banquet, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to say, I need 12 folks tonight to pray and say, God, can I provide the rent for one month? God, can I give for January? Because that's the day that my first son was born. I'm so thankful for him. I want to provide. I, I want to provide for another kid to be rescued because my son was rescued. Some of you know my story. Okay, I have a rescued kid. Was rescued in January. Okay, I, I want to provide for every month. I, every year, I want to provide January's rent for the center. Now, maybe you can't provide January's rent, but you notice right under that, a gift of four hundred and twenty-three dollars can provide one month of internet advertising, and that's where they're coming in today. We know that. Your younger group is going to be into that. Let's go down here. Gift of $330 can provide one month of electric and water. Folks, let's just be honest. Without electric, there's no ministry. That, that ultrasound doesn't run. On, with the crank model, we got rid of that last year. We don't no longer have the crank ultrasound. We have the new electric one, and, and it's 3D, and that saves lives right there. A gift amount of $330 can provide one month of electric water. A gift of $325 can provide one month of phone and internet services. A gift of $200 can provide for all of our testing supplies for one year. Every gift amount results in saved lives. My gift tonight or within 90 days will be this much. Why? We're asking for the gift. Why do you have so many different numbers on there, Mike? I want to have multiple levels because you do not know the level of the person that you're talking to when you first meet them or when you're there. You, we, we need to give donors what they want. What do they want? They want to know what their gift is. And in turn, you give them what they want, information. They will give you what you want. You want the money to accomplish the task, right? So let's give them what they want. They want the information they want to know. We have to present it that way. We have multiple levels. If you were going out with me on a major fundraising situation where I was at your center and we're going out to speak to a major donor, let's say we're going out and we've got a guy that we know is a, 
is a businessman. We know that he's probably a millionaire, maybe even a multi-millionaire, okay? So I'm going to go in with a book with him, and I'm going to have tabs on that book for projects that are $250,000, $100,000, $50,000, $25,000, $10,000. When I hand him the book, I'm going to watch which tab he goes to first because that will tell me what he immediately has that much to give. You will find that the larger givers, they won't start with the $20 a month. They'll slide themselves up. You need to watch that, and you need to be prepared to give those rescue stories to those people as much as you do the others. I, I, I got I to move along. Got to move along. This will tell you also under that, there's a whole thing about what you're going to also do about the $1.97 a day right there, okay? It's right there. Yes, ma'am, I'm taking questions right now. Yes. Now, here's, here's, here's the deal. We do have a line there that says, my gift tonight, every gift amount helps. But I'll tell you what, here's the deal. If In a banquet situation, if somebody can give you $50, they can give you $50 a month. Do you understand what I'm saying? They might say, I can't give $500. But if I can give you $50 a month, there's a good possibility that I could do that next month too. Now, I personally don't like to talk about monthly gifts. I like to talk about daily gifts. Why? Because in our mind, $1.97 a day is a lot cheaper than $59 a month. Do you understand what I'm saying? Who can't raise $1.97 a day? All right? So we put it, again, in verbiage that because it, your larger donors think a little bit differently than your, your blue collar and white collar think a little bit differently. But don't limit it. Don't immediately start with those minuscule numbers. Start, I want to take a $50 donor and move them to a monthly donor. Okay? Did that create any questions that I need to answer before we move on? Okay, number three. They need a clear and unwavering cost of the solution. I think we've kind of covered it. Yes, yes. Totally off, random off the top. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's, here's what we've, we've found in general from the, the centers. And understand, I've, I've what, been at like 700 centers, okay? Gloria tells me I've been at more than anybody else alive, and I feel like it. I've eaten more chicken and green beans. This is chicken and green beans, in case you want to know what a diet of chicken and green beans leads to. Okay? Right there. Yeah, and make sure the green beans are cold, too. Amen? Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Nothing raises more money like cold green beans, praise the Lord. It's in the book of Ezekiel. Look it up. You don't believe me. It's biblical. Uh, there are, if you just take your, you could do a couple different formulas. One is you could take your operating costs. You could multiply it by the number of children and moms that you see. And that could give you a number. You could take it and multiply it, or excuse me, divide it, you know. Okay, it, it, let, let's say, Let's say it costs me $1,200 a year to operate the center, hypothetically. And we rescued one child. How much did it cost a month? $100 a month. So how much did it cost a day? Divide by 30, just average, a dollar a day. But I would say it's never a dollar a day. <laughs> I would lower it just to 97 cents a day just to make it more real, okay? Even if it's dead even, don't make it dead even. Add something. Give them an extra layout. All right? Throw in a layout right there. 
throw in a car seat. It's going to be outdated in six months anyway. It's going to be recalled. Okay? <laughs> That's a scam to sell more car seats, and you know it, people. That's what needs to stop in this country. Anyway. Uh, okay, so look at, your, look at the overall, because you want to be able to tell people. People say, I want to be pro-life. Okay, here's the deal. I, I, I was bold enough to ask this at a center the other day. I hope nobody's involved in this ministry. If you do, I apologize. Uh, get over it. That's the nice thing working with Christians. you got to forgive me. Shut up. Okay, so here, here's the deal. I, I was at the center, and, and uh, I, I, I'm closing at the end, and I say, I know some of you go hold it, but we buy a Choose Life bumper plate every year. Ooh, 80 extra dollars for a Choose Life bumper plate. I, I turned to the director who was sitting in that back corner, and I said to her, I said, help me out. How much money do you make every year? How much money comes to your center because of the Choose Life bumper plates? And she actually said, do you really want me to say that out loud? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, we got a check this year for $16. I said, some of you in this room bought Choose Life bumper stickers, bumper plates, thinking that you were supporting the pregnancy center, and you're not. Don't think that that was supporting the pregnancy center. It wasn't. What was it going to? I, I don't know, but I know it wasn't coming here. Here's one thing you go, well, Mike, you know, they're spending all this money. Here is, here is the voice that you have. You can look your people in the eye and say this. Look, here's the deal. There are a lot of great ministries that are doing a lot of great things and trying to do a lot of great legislation. There are a lot of great ministries feeding a lot of people, homeless in our town, doing great work, building houses, tearing down houses, renovating old houses, building new, all this great ministries. But where can you give a dollar or a thousand dollars and know that somebody will be alive because of it other than the pregnancy center? Right here, because we're the ones that actually save lives with the pro-life money. And nobody else has that story. And when you realize what you have in that story, you will start using that story instead of the bull that they're using. Are you with me? Good. Am I done? You think so? I should have been right there. Uh, they, number four. Number four. I'm, I'm so far over, Jack. I'm sorry. Um, they need confidence in your organization. Let me tell you what, your message tells me whether I can be confident in your organization. You could say this with me, insanity is doing the same thing the same way and expecting different results. Why are we sometimes the most insane individuals? Because we keep doing the same thing, same old way, and just going, well, maybe we need to pray harder. Well, maybe God's going to bless you when you pray smarter. Maybe businessmen will start giving to you better when they realize your message isn't, we're here to wipe out abortion because they know the truth of the matter is if that's, your if that's what your goal is to do, you're doing it wrong, so I'm not giving you a dime until you understand what you're doing and do it right. Look at your neighbor and say, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> this point here to me is one of the most important. They need confidence in your organization to complete the task. I had a pregnancy center ask me, a uh, director asked me this week, how can we reach millennials? How can we get more of the young folks at our banquet? How can we get them involved? Right here. How many of you have ever stayed at an Airbnb? How many of you are scared just to even the thought of that? Okay, that's all right. That's all right. I, I, I read an interesting article. Uh, uh, the guys that co-founded Airbnb, which, by the way, by the way, the number two 
hospitality entity on the planet now. Airbnb. This article I read, when I read it, you guys, I was blown away because I thought their, their heart and their vision for what they wanted to accomplish so connects to what we do in the pregnancy center world. Because the article talked about these guys, and here was the point, just real quick. They basically, the two guys said, we did not want to create Airbnb to make money. <laughs> okay, why, why, why did you want to create it? They said, we wanted to create Airbnb to build community. Because we knew that if we could build a community, the money would follow. If we build a community, the money would follow. They didn't want to build just a marketplace because they said marketplaces are built on money. And if you just build things on money, money will only go so far because money is transactional. Money is transactional. But then here was the quote. And when I heard it, I hit pause on my computer watching the little video and I wrote this down. I was like, that is good. Here was the quote. They said, if money is the currency of transactions, trust is the currency of interactions. Let me say that again. If money is the currency of transactions, trust is the currency of interactions. Now here's the deal. In our culture, much like this picture with a, with a child jumping into the parents' arms, that trust factor. In our culture, people every single day are being called to make what these two founders of Airbnb call trust leaps. How many of you ever, have ever taken Uber? You remember the first time you took Uber? Some of you, that scares you to death to think you're going to get in the car with a stranger and they're going to take me for a ride. You've been watching too much suspense television. Change the channel. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. All right. How many of you have ever ordered off of Amazon, had something delivered? Okay. All those things are new. Here's the deal. In our culture now, with technology and the advancement of technology, trust leaps are being required of our donors and partners and future donors and partners, next generation partners. These trust leaps are being required every single day. Oh my goodness, this is new. Should I do this? Should I not do this? How do I know whether to do it or not? How do I move across this chasm from the unknown to the known? The reason prospective partners in your community are not yet giving you money is because they don't know you yet. They have not yet moved from the unknown to the known. How are they going to spend my money? Are they going to thank me? Are they going to you know, keep me updated on stories if I give my hard-earned money to support the pregnancy center? There's this risk involved in moving from the unknown to the known. And what these guys said that blew me away was the bridge across the chasm is trust. So if your donors, partners, future donors, partners, those that are yet to be on board, are not yet giving you money, or maybe it's challenging for you and your nonprofit, your pregnancy center, to get folks to give you money, maybe, just throwing this out, could be wrong, there's a lot of other variables, but maybe it could be there's a trust factor. You say, Jack, Mike, how, how can I help our partners and uh, our 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 folks who get involved, our volunteers, how can I help them trust us more? Here's a few quick ideas. When's the last time your partners or donors got a newsletter from somebody other than you as the director? Maybe an article in there from a board member. I know it's a challenge. I know it's a challenge. I know all that's involved in that. But 
for a partner donor to get a newsletter. It doesn't have to be a long article. It can be a shared article from you. But to be signed by chairman of the board, the credibility. You understand what I'm saying? The credibility goes up. When's the last time you had a board member share three minutes at your banquet or gala about their involvement and brag on you as a nonprofit organization other than give them a little slot to do the opening or closing prayer. You follow me? We have got to earn trust. You may feel like, well, our current donors and partners, they know who, who we are. They, we, we've earned their trust. You are always, always continuing to build trust. How do you do it? The stories we talked about earlier. You're continuing to give evidence through the stories that you share that you're an organization worthy of support. That's trust. Maybe it's saying, hey, on our website, if you want to know our financials, go, go on our website, see our financials. That's up to you. Think about it. Your team, your board, pray about it if that's something you feel like you need to do. There are a lot of creative ways that you can let people know that your organization is trustworthy. And we've got to do that. Why do we have to do that? Because of this right here. I saw just this week again some other company. I won't name the credit card, but uh, what's in your wallet? And had another $2 million social security numbers leaked out. Breaches of trust everywhere. Mike mentioned, you know, nonprofits that are running off with 60% of the money or not giving the money where they say it's going to go. There is a level of skepticism. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know this. There is a level of skepticism in our culture, even among Christians, about our organization, whether we like it or not. We have to operate from a defensive and offensive posture to let them know we're a trustworthy organization. How do we do it? I think because there are so many breaches of trust, these guys listed four things that especially the next generation are looking for to earn trust. Let me give them to you real quick. They're in the notes, but not on the screen. Here we go. There's certain expectations they have. Number one, responsiveness. Responsiveness. They expect you to respond quickly, promptly. Have you, have you noticed even, maybe you have it, maybe you have a young person on your staff doing this, but social media now even ranks you depending on how responsive you are to your audience. You're, you're ranked. You're moved up. You, have, you get the little badge on Facebook if you're quickly responding to your donors, to your partners, to people, to your audience. No, that's, what, that's an expectation among donors. It's what donors need so that you get what you need. You have to meet their need. It's what they need. It's what they want. Number two, they also now expect ownership. I Love this. I love this. My generation, the word was donor. I've told you, Mike and I like the word partner. I'm hearing among millennials and even those coming up behind them, the next age group, partnership is not even good enough for them. They don't just want to hear about the mission in the Dominican Republic. They just don't want to see the picture of the kid that they're, the child that they're partnering with the ministry to help. They want to get on a plane, come down and own and touch and handle the organization. Does this make sense? So we have to find a way, especially for the younger folks, a way that they can come in and be a part and have ownership in what we're doing. It's not optional. These are the demands they're expecting if we're going to get the next generation of folks to continue to give and we're going to earn their trust. And the last one is accountability. Accountability. One more. You guys are doing good at keeping count. I'm just making sure that Lunch hasn't glazed your eyes over. Accountable. We've got to be accountable to our board, to one another, to our staff. Last one is empathy. Some people may say, well, we'll just ignore the fact 
these credit card companies are losing our social security we'll just ignore all that we can't ignore all that we have to be empathetic to that's what people see every day in the culture and they're going to be skeptical and we have to do our best to meet them where they are makes sense trust is a big one that is the big one here's the next one i love this they need to be personally asked to meet the need personally asked to meet the need I remember I was a student pastor years ago, small church of a couple hundred people. Uh, our pastor friend, Mike, knows uh, Roger. And we had a little sign-up sheet. Maybe you have a similar sign-up sheet at your banquet. It says volunteers. At our church, we had a little sign-up sheet. We need Sunday school teachers for first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, nursery. Nobody wants to keep the nursery, right? Nobody wants to keep the nursery, especially if the preacher's long-winded. Don't want to keep that nursery. Maybe some kids in there that are going to have some bruises if I have to stay in there while the pastor preaches 60 minutes. We had a sign-up sheet at the back. After about a month of him saying at the end of every service, hey, we have a sign-up sheet back here. We need some people. We need some people to sign up. I finally went to him. I was young, naive, 20-something kid. I didn't know what I was doing in ministry. I said, Pastor, can I take on that project? He was like, you bet, you bet. Here you go, have fun. He's thinking you're going to crash and burn, buddy. But whippersnapper, when you come back, I'll tell you, you know what you did wrong. I was just naive. I thought, you know, I know James and Susan, and they love second graders. I'm going to go personally ask them, would they take the second grade Sunday school class for six months? I went to them. They said yes. One by one, I went to people, personally asked them to take specific areas of leadership. I came back within a week. And I said, Pastor, here's a sheet. You don't have to mention that on Sundays anymore. He looked at it and his jaw dropped. He's like, how did you do that? I, thought, just, I went and I personally asked people to get involved. We can throw out to the masses the opportunities that we have, but it really is going to be important for us if we want to meet donors where they are. They want to be personally asked. I'm going to let Mike jump in here and share a little bit more about that as we wrap up these final three points. Two years ago, I started writing this book, How to Fearlessly and Successfully Ask for Money. This is not a book promo. I'm not asking you to go to Amazon.com and buy it. I would not do that. That would be wrong for me to do that. It's a delightful book, and if you don't read it, you'll probably fail as a sinner. But don't worry, it's not, it's not about the book. Uh, I'll tell you how this started. That was a joke. I was joking, people. It was a joke. Okay. I'll tell you how this started. What I would do is just before I would speak at a banquet, I would turn to the director and I would say, I would say to them, I'm meeting you in an elevator. We're going to the 22nd floor. I turn to you and I say, you run that thing. Pay attention to the wording. You run that thing in town. Guy at uh, XX Center on... 22. I got a check in my pocket for $25,000 that he wants for a program. Why should I give it to you? Go. I asked 50 directors that year. Did I, did I ask you? Okay. 
Sorry, I shouldn't have pointed you out now. Take that back. Okay. Out of 50 directors, the first year that I asked this to, I ended up asking over 100 directors. 48 of them said bullet points. Well, we have a... a it, it usually started with this one. Oh, I hated this one. Do you know we gave away over 10,000 diapers this year? 10,000 diapers that were provided for us by people in the community. Or that they led with telling me about a need that they had that was fully met. Well, that's the waste of time, okay? And they led by telling me, we're giving out diapers. We're a social program that gives out diapers. We're in an age where people are kind of tired of all the social programs. I've got to be honest with you. If you sound like all you do is our some give out agency, the worst thing one of your testimony people can get up there and go, the center provided diapers and vitamins and wipes and rubs and scrubs and a baby seat. That's not what people want. People want to hear about how hearts were changed. That's what they want, okay? All right? Now, here, here we go. 48 of them gave some kind of... I heard a lot of this. In that 48 was, uh, can I get back with you? Could I get back with you? No, you got 90 seconds. You're on an elevator. They're using the ones around here. You got about 12 seconds, okay? <laughs> coming down. I don't know about you, but coming down, I kind of feel like... But it's like to walk on the moon. You know what I'm saying? Just do that. You go up to the top and come all the way down. Just walk around in there. It's, you feel like Buzz Aldrin. One step for man, another step for mankind. You know? So, okay. Boy, I'm older than everybody. They don't even remember that. <laughs> Glad I didn't use my Billy Graham voice. Anyway, um, get this. Only two of the people interviewed, at the end of whether they said it, right or wrong, said, now can I have the money? Show me the money! That was a popular statement for a while. You remember that, James? Show me the money. Not for these folks, obviously, but for your generation. Show me the money. How many have heard the phrase, show me the money? Remember the movie? We heard, show me the money for a whole year. Everything was, show me the money, show me the money. Here's the thing. You've got to ask for the money. I don't want to, I don't want to, Patrick, I, I, I don't want to be harsh here. I'm going to talk to you, okay? Patrick, I know your center. I know your work. Your great work, okay? But Patrick, if you're afraid to ask people to give to support your work, you need to quit your job tonight and do something else. Because here's the thing. If you don't believe in yourself and your ministry enough to ask people to support it, then find a ministry that you can or create the ministry that is worthy of being supported. You've got to ask. Oh, scripture, why bring that into it? You have not because you ask not. The words of Jesus, you have not because you ask not. We need to ask people to make decisions. Okay, uh, the next one, number six, is this. They need to be thanked properly. Need to be thanked personally and properly. How many times do you need to thank a donor? Any donor? How many times should should we at least thank a donor? Every time. Every time. Three. Many times. I say this. There is no too much you can thank a donor. In all the years, I, I, I've got one donor that, that has come to us who who gives us about $100,000 a year, okay? 
Uh, how many need a $100,000 donor? Okay. Let, 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 raise up your hands if you need a $100,000 donor. Let me ask you a question. For those of you with your hands still in here, come on. Holy, you, some of you are going to feel Pentecostal before I finish this question. <laughs> I know you Baptists are getting chest pains right now. You know, we don't do this at our church, brother. Right? Okay, okay here, here's the deal. Have you ever prayed for a big donor? Have you spent time praying and fasting for a big donor? Put your hand down. You have not because you ask now. Got to ask. You can put your hands down. Either way, both sides, both ways. If you have or haven't. Okay, but 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 here here's the deal. You cannot overthink a donor. I have never lost a donor from the mission or from any program that I've worked with. Patrick, oh, you've been how many years have you been doing this, brother? 26. 26 years. Have you ever had somebody call and say, you know what? You're not getting my money this year because you were just too grateful. <laughs> that doesn't happen. The more you thank them, the more they will give. Do you follow what I'm saying here? So you cannot... I, I, I love newsletters, but I love to use clubflyers.com and just take a picture of a child and put, thank you for saving my life, and hand it to your board members and say, here, every one of you, fill a bunch of those out, handwritten, signed by a board member, and send it to this list of donors. How do you do that? Well, I was in Colorado. I sat down before the event. I sat down with the board. They wanted to meet with me. And, and the uh, board chairman turned to me and said, Mike, we've got a few minutes. And, and is there anything you'd like to say to us as a board? I said this. Board, let me ask you a quick question. But first, I need to ask your director something. I turned to the director. I said, ma'am, how many hours does the average volunteer put in for your son? I said, Mike, four to eight hours a week. I turned to the board and I said, board, if the volunteers, volunteer, puts in four to eight hours a week in service to this organization, should they be the board or should you be the board? He got real quiet. I didn't get invited back a second time to that center. <laughs> Actually, I did. I'm going back a third year this year. Okay? Folks, we have got to ask, then we've got to thank. You cannot overthink. Doing the narrative of thank you, thank you, thank you, and you will create that community that Jack talked about. Jack, come back, give us the wrap-up points. All right. Number seven. Number seven. Yes, question. You moved into a place where a thank you was attached to the receipt that they got with another ask. Is that right? Yeah. So your question is, is that a good idea? Is that a good idea? No. Is that what you wanted to know? Who's they? My mom and dad always talked about they. But I never knew who they were. Did you? They are invisible. Let me ask you a quick question, Jack. I, I, I want you to stay with us here. Uh, what, what position did you move into? Okay, you're in church relations. Okay. Okay. And you moved into... Uh, uh, say it with me. Insanity is doing the same thing the same way except expecting different results. You need to bring to light how they would feel 
Just ask the board, how would you feel if the only time you got thanked is when you gave something and you were immediately thanked, asked for something else? Now, let me tell you, the principle of asking again is totally, totally viable. We talk all about that. Let me tell you, major organizations all across the country, big organizations utilize that principle. But I think when they only receive thank you along with a receipt, that's really, uh, it's a Christian word, it's called crass, okay? It, it, it's in the Greek, okay, work with me, okay? Uh, how do you fix it? You speak the truth in love. You ask them how they feel about that. Ask them how they feel about only being thanked once when they give something. Just be honest. Honest and open. Just be honest. The truth will win. I got a, I'll tell you how I feel. I was with the pregnancy center in one of the biggest states in the country, bordering on one of the southern countries. I won't tell you what state it was. Uh, and I went to do something for the center. Every pregnancy center I serve, I financially invest in. I feel like that's just the right thing to do. Uh, I gave a gift to that pregnancy center. About four months later, four months later, How long? four months later, Surely yes, yes, <laughs> I got a note. It was not a thank you note. Uh, it was a note receiving me for my gift and asking me to give again. Ask me if I gave again. No, I didn't. So we've got to thank people, thank people, thank people. Genuine thanks. How can you thank them? Multitudes of ways. Mike and I are happy to tell you about many of those ways. Obviously, verbally, creatively with the pictures that he mentioned. One of the ways that I love to do it is divide up the numbers of the uh, phone numbers of partners, give it to board members and staff and say, call 10 donors today in the middle of the day. Why? Because they're not going to answer their phone because they're at work. The number you have is probably their cell phone. It's probably going to go to, go to voicemail. Have your 30-second story and spill ready when it beeps. And when they check their voicemail, they'll hear a genuine thank you from you as a pregnancy center person. A lot of ways to say thank you. we got to say thank you. And then we have the right, we've earned the right to ask again. The other thing that we have to attach with that thank you is this last point, and that is proof that the project was completed. This is probably one of the places that we often fail in the nonprofit world, especially in pregnancy center work. We will ask for the money and then we never tell them what the money did or how successful, if you want to use that word, effective, fruitful. What did the money do? Share pictures of what the money did. Share stories of what the money did. Share video. Share proof that something happened with the money. Mike mentioned the situation with the organization in Florida. Taking off with the money, not using the money for what it's for. We, we've got to do the opposite of that. We have to give proof that the project was successfully completed. In our work, the way that we do that in the Dominican, the gentleman that Mike mentioned who wants to help with the building, he's the first one that gets pictures of that completed building with children standing out front with smiles on their faces so that he knows there's the evidence that my work is completed. And then, and then after the thank you, then he's ready to give again. Questions? We've got about eight minutes. Yes. If you'd like more information on today's topic, check out our resource page at our website, theheartsharegroup.com. You can also follow Jack on social media as well. Thanks for listening.